0: The practical side of that or the, the the non-hypothetical side of that or the practice aspect of that. I think it does translate. I think people who do gardening or, I don't know, I think gardening would be a good example. I'm not sure other examples, but I think there are others where you just know the materials, you know the tools, you know every intimate thing about what it is that you use to do what you do that makes it sort of an extension of you. And that just makes it, I I think, I'm not even sure how to put it into words. It, It makes it part of you.
1: Hi, this is Josh, and this is the Joshua Spodek Show, formerly Leadership in the Environment. I still bring you leaders in the area of the environment in the form of leaders and role models. Everyone treats stewardship like a burden or a chore, deprivation, sacrifice. So did I until I actually tried it seriously. It is a joy. Everything about it, we're here to share that joy. Meet amazing, world renowned people from all parts of life, hear about them, what the environment means to them, and hear most of them find something meaningful to act on and then to share their experience. Why? Because stewardship and acting to help others for something greater than all of us creates about the greatest feeling humans can get, as does fresh air. Clear water, delicious food, and clean land. That's what we're bringing you. Today's guest, Abby Ryan, comes courtesy of originally Seth Godin, reading his book Lynchpin after speaking to him. Oh, he was a previous guest on the show, and I'll put a link to his episode. He talked about Abby Ryan in Lynchpin, one of his books. She is an artist, and among other things, she's painted a painting every day since I believe 2007. So for longer than people who know me know that I pick up a piece of trash every day, that I do burpees every day, that I do all sorts of I my daily habits, what I call my SIDCHAs for self-imposed daily challenging healthy activities. She's been doing them longer. And this episode I feel was total self-indulgence for me because for once in a long time, I could talk to someone and talk about what you get when you consistently do something challenging that is expressive and so forth. People constantly ask me, Josh, why do you they want a, they want an episode where I explain why I do so much, why I go out on limbs so far so much. I cannot express in words what comes from consistent practice of something that you care about. With Abby, I could talk about these things and hear from her what she gets out of it. After we recorded, actually, we talked about how comfortable and warm and fulfilling it felt to hear someone who'd gone through a parallel process. People ask me, Josh, what do I do about toilet paper? What do I do about toothbrushes? Or what do I do about diapers? And I tell them, I can't solve for you in your your life. I can give you a process that you will find these things out. And when you find these things out, you'll be overjoyed and happy that you do. Talking to Abby, this came out. She could share what it brings to her and what it means to her and how much greater that is than these little things that aren't so, I don't know how to put it. This is what I love talking about her so much and why I hope that you get out of this, what I got out of this, this joy and this delight that's so easy to experience and so lovely to experience and so hard to explain that someone doesn't do it. So many people in the environment, it's a bunch of facts. It's a bunch of things of obligations and things that you have to do. And this was anything but. So after we recorded, we said, let's talk more. We both love this. And I hope that you get a piece of what is available and accessible to anyone. It does take practice, but it only takes practice. If you're listening to this podcast, I hope that the environment is something that's meaningful for you that you really want to get at and you really want to work on. And why I say act, act and keep acting. That's what this episode is about. It sounds like it's about art and it is about art. I hope that for you, it's also about the accessible, how you can create in your life as much of what you want. Well, let's listen to Abby. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Swadek. I'm here with Abby Ryan. Abby, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. All things considered, pretty good.
1: I think the all things considered is because we're in a, a COVID situation. And yeah. if that comes up, let's talk about it. I, but I want to introduce you a bit that uh, a lot of the guests I have are, are very well known. They're like big TED speakers and stuff like that. I've been looking forward to this one since I first found your website. So Abby, I'll, I'll give you what I know about you. And maybe you can say a bit more is that you paint a painting every day. You teach painting to others. And actually, there's a bunch of videos of you painting online. And in particular, there's one that I, I took a couple quotes from that I'll probably read back to you from actually it's from 2013, 2014. So a while ago, showing you teaching others and the depth of the conversation and what they're talking about. It's not about pigment and brushstroke. It's about something much deeper. And that resonated with me because I do all these daily habits that, Develops so much more than I think people see from the outside, and you do it. You've been doing it longer than I have, and I would love to just talk to you about that. If it gets to be about the environment, great. If not, I'd love what you're doing. At least as far as I know, do you mind sharing a bit about yourself?
0: Sure. I am a painter. I'm a teacher. I have a painting practice in which I make small postcard size paintings, and I try to do it every day. Uh, If I can. And the work itself, I would say, is in short uh, a meditation on my life. And so if I'm traveling, I paint the scenes around where I am. If I am at home, I paint the produce that's sitting in my kitchen, whatever's in season usually. And I have lots of inspiring objects in my studio that, I don't know, they all have a story. And so the still life paintings I do are traditional looking, representational oil paintings, but they all have kind of a deeper meaning to me, either in terms of what I'm painting or how I set up the painting. And people who know me really well can understand the content of the paintings. But what I love about still life painting is that it is open and that it is something that people can relate to and people recognize the items that i'm painting and and there's something uh, really accessible about representational work that folks who maybe don't consider themselves artistic or creative get kind of excited about saying like wow it looks so real or it looks it looks just like the real thing and or maybe they have a connection with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich from their childhood And so it it is a kind of a spark or it conjures emotional connection in a way that is always really surprising to me and, and kind of interesting. And so there's a universal quality almost to painting the types of things that I paint that I find really exciting and inspiring. And it's, it's interesting to sit every day in your studio and a, in a kind of solitary environment and, and sit down every day to a blank canvas and and feel like a beginner every time. But then to know that each little painting is part of this bigger project that so many people are interested in and inspired by, and that it uh, adds beauty to their life. And there's both the daily practice that uh, propels me just sort of in a meditative way to keep doing it. But then there's also that larger kind of macro view that I feel like it's it's kind of amazing to be able to do something that comes naturally to me and then in real time to see the ways in which it affects other people. And it's not that my work is for everybody, it doesn't speak to everybody, but for those people that it does speak to, I get to see every single day how it improves their lives in this kind of beautiful way.
1: At the end, when you said it, how it improves their lives, that's a bigger statement than they get to see something pretty or they get to see something beautiful. I want to get to that, but I'm also curious, you said earlier people who know you would see more in the paintings than people who don't. Does that mean people who know who've seen a lot of your paintings or people who know you outside of the paintings that that's not painting? Do they see like, Oh, she's feeling good today or what does that mean?
0: I I think there's different levels of it. I think to, to the first point you made, I think, I do work in this in this postcard size kind of painting construct I, I have different series of paintings and so there are threads that are continued over the years where I you know I'll paint sort of I don't know one of them is like a yin and yang series where if I have two kind of disparate objects that I that I feel like relate in some visual way that makes me feel conjures that idea of a yin and yang then like I'll kind of think about it that way or there's other ones where. I have one that's called magic as, magic as possible, or I forget what the word I use, magic is real. And I'll like paint a couple of pieces of a fruit or something and I'll paint one um, as if it looks like it's inside of a bottle where it couldn't possibly have gotten inside the bottle, you know, it's kind of things like that. So there's different threads that I think someone would understand if they follow the work for a long time. But what I meant in that sentence really had to do with, uh, yeah, people who are in my inner circle who might understand what's happening in my life and might see the way I set something up in a still life or the combination of objects I put together or the way in which I put them together as being a metaphor for something that's actually happening in in my life or in the world that comes through in the work. And I tend to not do a lot of symbolism in my work, like the old masters did where, you know, sometimes I do, but you know, like different objects symbolize different meaning in historical paintings. So like hazelnuts mean something as a kind of symbol or oysters mean something as a symbol. But I do think that the simple setups that I, that I construct have an emotional aspect to them. And so if you look at a lot of them, you can start to see that. And I like the fact that it stays open and that, you know, when I post my paintings, I don't share a lot about what I think of it or what I experienced making it or what's behind it. And I do that really intentionally because I want it to, to stay as open as possible for others. And I think it connects with the way you asked this question initially, which is I, I take it really seriously when I say that my work art in general improves people's lives and you know, an example would be one that st- st- kind of stays with me from a couple years ago is maybe a few years ago now is, you know, I get a lot of emails from people. And one email I got from someone years ago was from a woman who lives in a more rural area. And so doesn't have like a city with museums nearby. And she was sharing with me kind of personal information about how her spouse was having some health issues and she was the caregiver and, and she was sharing with me just how much joy it brought to her life to get my email each day and to get a glimpse into what I was painting and just to kind of see the surprise really of it and to be able to kind of lose herself in whatever it was that I painted that day. And I've never forgotten that, You know, when I think about as I click send and, and, you know, send my paintings off into the interwebs, like that there are people on the other end of this who are having their lives and, and that everyone has different connections. Someone I know, one of my collectors has this really deep connection with Blackberries because of her grandfather. And, you know, these things have meaning in really concrete ways that are kind of amazing.
1: This meaning, this connection, I mean I hear you describing connection, self-expression. and even though you the practice of it you said is solitude or time alone away from everyone and yet it results, if I'm hearing you right, a greater connection not with everyone, but with some people, including yourself, I, I imagine, this is I think lots of people wouldn't quite get that. And some of it I think is painting has certain qualities that no other medium has. If you were a musician I feel like something you you could probably say almost the same things and probably a lot of people listening have specific daily habits maybe painting maybe not maybe artistic maybe not and I've most of mine are on fitness and and diet but I also pick up a piece of trash every day as something for me it's not particularly hard it doesn't take a whole lot of time but it it connects me with people in a way that I've not been able to describe to people and I think from the outside looking at it they would say Josh is putting his hands on something that someone else put on the ground. It's dirty. But I feel like I'm cleaning the world. And I feel like it it goes to my eyes the same, but it goes to the clean part of my brain instead of the the filthy part of my brain. And I don't know how to put this. Like what you're saying connects with that. And I feel like if um, someone who meditates every day, someone who lifts weights every day, someone who does yoga every day, but not necessarily someone who smokes every day or who reads the paper every day, Am I right that what you're saying there's something specific to painting and there's something that's more universal to a daily habit that's a challenge and what you're saying speaks to me in a way that not being a painter I'm I'm probably missing some parts of it but being someone who does something daily it resonates
0: I think your example of picking up picking up trash each day is an interesting one because that couldn't be the furthest thing from, you know, <laughs> a beautiful painting. And yet I will think about that when I'm out walking my dog tomorrow or today. And I think the same is true for anyone who listens to your your work and your, your, what you produce with this. And it's the same thing. Like I, I paint uh, a pair and people share with me that they look at their own food differently because of it. So there's something about it. And I, and I do, to your point, I guess the point you're, you're alluding to is like there's something life-affirming about it or, or like healthy about it or the intent behind it is, is life-affirming or, or, or healthy. Um, and so then it feels good for it to be transferred to someone else, either by them looking at a painting or hearing or, or watching you do that. Maybe you don't even notice when someone else sees you do what you do when you pick up something in the, in the street, or certainly when you share with people that that's a practice that you have, that, that little spark of, it's like what happens when a, when two neurons transfer information, like that, that gets transferred. And it, I think it's that much more impactful with consistency. and, And I found that all of the best things that have come from my studio practice are tied to the fact that it's a consistent practice, and that um that I show up, and that I that I have stuck with it, and that I've worked through it, uh, figuring out how to get myself to do it every day. And I don't know. I think there's a lot of people who are inspired by that, or that feels kind of out of reach to them. And so, as many people as we can to to kind of share those kinds of activities that we do, I think it only helps to uh, make people feel kind of empowered that, you know, maybe they're not a painter, but maybe they do a a photograph a day, or maybe they do something else. Or in your case, I don't know what the examples would be, but there's something important, I think, about each of us doing our little part that then grows. You know, that sounds sort of cheesy, but I I mean it that way too.
1: (laughs) Well, it might sound cheesy, if not in the context of of what you just said, I think that you talked about empowering. You talked about—I don't remember if you used the word accessible—but that was the counter to some people look at at the consistency, and they think maybe it's not attainable. But to me, I hear that's attainable. Like the the stuff that you achieve is attainable. I mean, someone might not want to paint; they might want to do something else, and that to me is a major piece of this. I don't—I look at your paintings, and I think it would take me a while to reach that level. But I could. It's simply a matter of practice. I mean, if you practice enough, you'll probably seek out instruction and seek out mentors and things like that. And the stuff that you talk about, the depth and my characterization here, the depth and richness of of what you talk about, the complexity, complexity like a fine wine, not, not complication, that to me is accessible to anyone who does things consistently in a way that is very difficult to predict or anticipate otherwise. Can you say more about the consistency and how that factors into everything? And did you know that uh, that was going to happen before you started?
0: Um, I would say that that has been the biggest gift of the project I set up for myself, which was to to try to do a painting every day. And after several years, I I started teaching and I've found that that is an interesting feedback loop for my practice, but I've studied painting in college I've taken a couple workshops when I started doing this and the most that I've ever learned about painting is by painting every day and by far like far like without a doubt like the most I've learned is not from looking at painting not from being taught anything but just by doing it and uh, learning from what happens when you do it and I don't know. I think when I teach, and people always want to kind of find out if there's a, some kind of magic recipe to being able to be consistent. And I've had varying opinions on this, and it's sort of evolved over the years because, on some level, I do think that there is something that people can gain by just showing up and even for a short period of time trying to do something every day. Like, I think it changes you and so i think that is partially true but i also think that there are so many different kinds of personalities that i don't think that a daily practice is necessarily right for everybody and i you know i've kind of come around to that idea but that's different than consistency you know it doesn't necessarily have to be every day for something to be consistent and i don't think it's something that you can take somebody else's word for necessarily like i can teach in my workshops this very topic and it's purely it's purely intellectual and hypothetical for a person who's listening to me talk about it they might be watching me paint while I do it and so it feels more three dimensional to them but it's really hypothetical and it's just like you know with meditation you can teach someone how to do it and then you can try to do it yourself and really like I, I approach painting the same way, which is at the end of a meditation session, you don't talk to yourself about whether it went well or not. You benefit from having spent the time sitting in meditation. And so that's the way that I try to approach the consistency angle or the that aspect of my studio practice is that it's not about how many paintings I've done or how much money I've made or you know even what the work looks like. It's about... How do I benefit from sitting in the, in the flow of that energy of what I connect with when I'm making a painting and trying not to over-evaluate it um, and just understand that tomorrow I'll do it again.
1: Comparing what you said, you said the vast majority of what you've learned is from the practice. And you've had mentors, you've had workshops, presumably you've read a lot of books and looked at a lot of paintings. What do you get in one versus what are the other? I mean, you said the vast majority. I mean, you probably still look at other people's paintings today, probably all the time, I'm not sure. Can you describe what you get from the practice qualitatively? What's the difference? I don't know if that can be put into words.
0: Went to see a Rembrandt show at the Philadelphia Museum of Art, and I think it was in 2014. One of the last paintings in the exhibition was this this painting called Supper at Emmaus I think and it's an interior scene and um, there's some people in it and in the bottom right there's like a a table with a little still life on it and it's it's a very small part of the painting this little still life but it really captured my attention so I went back a few times to see this exhibition and so I would sit and look at this painting or stand up close if I could and look at it for you know sometimes up to an hour at a time and as they have in museums, um, when you exit a big exhibition like that, they, um, they they sort of funnel you through the gift shop, so you have to go through and, and see the the products that they're selling that are tied to the exhibition before you're allowed to get out of the building. And
1: did you make a documentary on art with that name?
0: <laughs> so I'm like studying this painting by Rembrandt uh, for a long time, and then I exit through the gift shop, and there are reproductions of of that very painting and so right away within you know within a minute of seeing the the work I'm walking through the gift shop and seeing reproductions of it and they're all wrong like the contrast is wrong the tint is wrong the amount of dark in the shadows is wrong the keyed up uh, quality of the highlights is wrong and this is museum quality reproductions in the museum like you know this is it's supposed, supposed to be like the best of the best. So I was thinking about that. And then I drove home and, and then I go on, on the computer and I, I look it up, the painting. And you go on Google Image and you click on the image tab. And there's like 15 different versions of the same painting. And they're all different. Some of them have like a more of a cyan tint. Some of them are more muted. Some of them look like they have a yellow tint. They're all different. And by that point, I couldn't remember which one was the most correct mm-hmm. at all. And so in that moment, I made the decision that I was going to only study painting in person. Uh So I've had the the good fortune through my job um, of traveling a lot to different museums around the world. And so I've been really lucky that I'm able to do that. So, yeah, I do look at painting, but I only look at it primarily in person. And I try to limit what I look at online. Um, partly because of that story, it gives a good example, but also because I think it doesn't tell enough of the story to look at something online. And so it makes sense that I would learn the most by making my own work in this day and age. But if I think back to studying painting in college, like I took a couple art classes in high school, I took two workshops during college in the summer, not a lot of, I think, education, but enough. I think with a lot of creative fields, and, and I think this isn't unique necessarily to painting, but there's this this kind of concept of tacit knowledge that is learning something by doing it. And it's sort of like, the best, I think a good example is if you're trying to learn how to make pottery on a potter's wheel, you can explain to somebody how to center it and how to pull the the side out and how to pull it so that the edges go up but you can't really learn how to do it until you start trying it you know and like try it and try it again and try it again and so I think it's like that idea in a way but for me it's not hypothetical for me it is that when I sit down to paint and I engage with my subject matter and I get into that space it's the best I can do in that moment. And so when I look at paintings I did in 2007 and 2008, I was really happy with them at the time. But now looking back on them, I wouldn't say that they're embarrassing, but they're not where I am now. And the only thing that has changed is that I've painted whatever, 1,200 paintings in between then and now. And so it's not hypothetical. It's, it's real that what I've learned is by repeatedly doing it. And I think it's part of it is like muscle memory, learning what materials are best for you, efficiency just with color mixing and different like technical aspects of painting just by the repetition of it. And I think it's difficult to put into words in some ways, but the way you get to know yourself through a meditative practice provides way more insight than anything else. Like just being with yourself, I think provides more insight than trying to think think something about yourself.
1: If you like the show, I recommend acting as my guests do. It works best with someone supportive, your spouse, parents, kids, neighbors, or friends. Learn the four-step process I do with my guests and describe it in my TEDx talks and do it together. You'll find yourself acting on something you care about, something meaningful. Whether you start big or small doesn't matter. If you care... If it's meaningful, you'll keep doing it. You'll reach big. Eventually, stewardship will feel normal. You'll wish you had started earlier. Second, I recommend donating to help this podcast at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. I promote degrowth and stewardship, which no advertiser will touch, but brings joy, community, connection, and abundance to you when you act and global change in the long run. Help us keep going. That's JoshuaSpodek.com slash donate. I mean, you said a lot. And something that I try to get across and I don't know how to, is in the area of the environment, that even if it's just a walk in the park, it may not give the, the depth and richness. Well, it would still be a meditative practice. And most people in the area of the environment, their their route to doing something is by reading and writing papers and analyzing. And what you talked about learning about yourself and your craft or your art, I can't put into words what you get when you practice it versus when you read about it, I'm sure art history books are great, but the comparison with the practice is just nothing and what you get with consistent practice it, it's kind of like what we're talking about because I don't get packaged food and so I go um, goes to the farmers' markets and the CSAs and I go to the farms and things like that and I didn't before, so it's all new, so maybe there's some novelty in it, but it's been several years now I can't get over how good my food I don't think there's anyone who loves their food more than I love mine and it's available to anyone. That accessibility is so, to me, so important, but people just don't do it. They, All these experts are like, they've read more papers and they say, oh, I've read all the stuff. So I'm an expert and here's what you should do. And another person's like, well, I'm an expert and here's what you should do. And none of them can speak with experience of what you're talking about, of doing something daily is that you have to not do other things and prioritizing your life. When you talked about I can't use say the terms as you did, like the choices of paint and how you mix them and the stuff, the technical aspects that come through practice that now I believe I would expect are second nature to you. The way that like how I move my tongue when I speak, I don't think about it. It's, you know, my tongue just does th. It does it right. Well, then I did a little while. But I don't think about how my tongue is moving. I just do it. When I walk, I don't think about my feet. I just do it. And I would bet that when you do something, sometimes you'll do something and people say, whoa, what was that that you did there? And you probably just did it. But then- You probably have to go down level after level after level to express exactly what in a moment you knew from having done thousands, a thousand times before. And the crazy thing is that it's so accessible. It could be, I mean, for environmental things, it's just to walk in the park every day or to, you know, cook your own food every day or something like that. And what you get is so much more than you could get from learning everything there is to know about, you know, how carbon dioxide traps uh, the temperature or something like that.
0: Yeah. I mean, as you're connecting with the things I'm sharing and remembering in workshops, when I teach people painting, I'll be doing a live demo at the beginning and I'll naturally mix together a couple colors to make something. And everyone's always like, well, what did you just mix? And so I have to back up and kind of (laughs) think about it and explain whatever colors I mixed. and. Same thing with my brush and how I hold the brush. Like, You can see it in the, in the video clips, if you look for video clips with my painting. But I hold the brush at the end for a very particular reason, because I want to make paintings that feel gestural. And if you kind of choke up on the brush or hold it too close to the end, then it becomes more rendered and kind of like um, more like a drawing. And you kind of lose some of the, the magic of what the bristles of the brush can do when you kind of pull back and, and use the the weight where it's thicker in the middle of the brush to kind of weight it and things like that, where it starts after, after a time, like you don't even realize it starts to feel like an extension of your hand. And same thing with the colors on my palette. Like I use the same colors on my palette, which are nine colors plus black and white. And part of what I think people notice when they work with me or watch me paint is that I don't I don't really have trial and error too much anymore like I I I see something that I I need to mix um, in a painting and I just know which colors you know a little bit of titanium white tiny bit of ivory black a smidge of lemon yellow and a little bit more of cadmium red light and so it makes the color that I can see and I just sort of I don't know what is happening in my brain but you can see that it all just works together and I can just mix it on the first try. And some people ask that too in workshops, like they'll say, I can't mix this color and I'll walk by and they'll ask me for some help. And sometimes I'll sit, but other times I'll just give them some, some tips or, or an idea for what to, to mix. And so I'll say like, just mix a little bit of black, a little bit of alizarin crimson and a tiny bit of phthalo blue. And I don't have to do it. They can do it themselves, but just, being able to think in those colors allows me to just quickly be able to see a color and then translate it into the breakdown of whatever the, the mix might be. And I don't know, I think the the practical side of that or the, the the non-hypothetical side of that or the practice aspect of that, I think it does translate. I think people who I don't know. I think gardening would be a good example. I'm not sure other examples, but I think there are others where you just know the materials, you know, the tools, uh, you know, know, every intimate thing about what it is that you use to do what you do that makes it sort of an extension of you. And that just makes it, I I think, I'm not even sure how to put it into words. It, It makes it like part of you.
1: There's a, a beauty to that. And to me, the term mastery, it's not about master, slave, something like that. It's about a comfort, a fluidity, fluency, a communication. And I think if you smoke a cigarette every day, it doesn't, that doesn't get it. Not because it's unhealthy, but it maybe because it's trivial, there's nothing really to it. Reading the paper every day is too passive, it seems to me. But something where you do something, you find things out about you. And at first, if you do the same thing every day, it seems like it might get boring. And I think the boring part is like a week. And then for the rest of your life, it's depth and and infinite amounts of things that you can discover. I'm curious about the process of just knowing the colors and thinking in that way. I have to imagine that there was mistakes along the way, but you probably wouldn't call it mistakes. But at the beginning, you would do things and you probably didn't have this fluency. And so- that implies to me that you would mix colors and you were like hoping and it wouldn't work out, whereas now you confidently do it. And when I, I do my burpees every day, and so I'm still improving the form of my burpees. And I've been doing it for like almost 10 years now. And learning by error, by trial and error, did you go through a process of not knowing how to mix colors and flailing and struggling and frustration? Is that inevitable?
0: I mean, I think it shows up in different ways. Like if I remember when I first started doing this, a little painting would take maybe four, four and a half hours or something. And that was intrinsically tied to how efficient I was with color mixing. And so now the same size painting might take sometimes an hour and a half or two hours. And that's purely just because i 'm more efficient, not by choice, but just out of the practice of it that I just happen to mix colors more quickly that are the ones that I want the first try and so I do remember, and there 's like you know a residue of that activity where i I can remember how long it took and and what that probably meant about um, my ability to paint what I was seeing the first time around or Not feel like I was quote unquote making any mistakes or something that I needed to revise. And you know, if you watch the videos where I um, show a time lapse of my painting process, you can see that I've developed ways of starting a painting that are really humane. And by that I mean I don't set myself up for failure initially in the painting, I've figured out ways to start a painting where If I happen to make something a little bit too big that I don't have to start over, or if I put something in a place that is, you know, half an inch over from where I want it to be, that I don't have to wipe it all down and start over. So instead of drawing out the contours of something, I paint across the form and kind of not quite massing, but more like a gestural way to map out how much space something takes up. And that. Um, by default helps me know uh, what shape it is and where it, where it is on the canvas and also uh, where things are in relation to it, how big it is, um, all of those kinds of detail things. And I didn't try to come up with a system to do that. But after starting a painting by making a contour, drawing with paint and realizing that if I made the thing too big I'd have to wipe it out and do it over and basically start from the beginning again and doing that enough times and and realizing like okay let me try to figure out a way so that I don't start out the painting process by being frustrated and looking for strategies that I could get to where get more quickly to where I, I felt like I could build momentum in the painting and so now I teach that in my in my workshops and other seminars like how can you set yourself up in the painting so that it's not painful or how can you set yourself up so that it's not frightening or scary so that the the trajectory of the painting is is a slow climb that doesn't really have a lot of fast climbs and and plateaus but that has like a really gradual consistent climb And if you watch the time-lapse of my paintings, like you'll see that I kind of flip-flop between objects. I sometimes do the background or or the ground that the object's sitting on. I don't wait until the very end to do the exciting parts. Like I've sort of paced myself so that I, and this is what you learn by doing it every day, is like you learn what feeds the process and what makes it feel like it's pleasant, you know, and something that doesn't feel intimidating or, you know, a lot of, artists would describe certain aspects of, of painting that way, at least initially. Does that answer your question in a way?
1: Yeah. It also leads me to another thing that something that I find the more that I do these things, the more that I find the things that I do, the more that I find little tricks to make it easier, like how to start like last night, it was late. I'd eaten a bunch and I still have to do my burpees. So I've, I've all these little tricks to get me started and, or not just started to finish and to tricks all over the place. And I feel like before I did it, if someone said, here's a bunch of tricks, I would think, oh, that's faking it. Really, I should really deeply want it. And I should be like this type of person that like Arnold Schwarzenegger probably just loves lifting weights and I should love lifting weights. And if I don't, then I'm not really going to do it. But I bet he's got tricks like anyone. And I think that comes from practice of how like people say, oh, Josh, you're so disciplined. I don't consider myself disciplined at all. I think this is because I'm not disciplined. I felt if I was disciplined, I, it would be much easier and maybe less rewarding.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's kind of a mysteriousness that or perceived mysteriousness by some people in what it's like to try to do something in a consistent way or, or be committed to something like what you're describing with, with your exercise or what I talk about in my work. And, you know, I always am the first to share with people that if I have a headache that day, it's really tough to do what I need to do to paint or, you know, something difficult is happening in the world or in my personal life. Like I have the same brain anatomy as everybody else inside my skull, and so I still have, you know, that part of my brain that is resistant, and that's why I think it feels like I'm a beginner still when I sit down to paint. But I think that What you're kind of alluding to, which, you know, this idea of, you know, doing something a lot. People always talk about the ten thousand hours idea, and doing something for ten thousand hours makes you an expert or a master or something. But then there's these later um, authors who talk, like Daniel Goleman talks about in the book Focus, talks about that kind of concept, but also adding into the mix, this idea of being conscious and that it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not enough to just play golf for 10,000 hours to become a master golfer, but that you have to be conscious and aware. And in my own words, I would say like, you have to be self-aware. You have to be kind of interested in paying attention to what's happening in yourself and you knowing that, or knowing from you that, you know, it gets to be too late in the day. And it's probably not even good to do it that late in the day because you're getting all like worked up before you go to sleep. And, you know, but knowing that, like that, the evaluation of what you, what you do when it's 10 o'clock at night versus when it's, you know, the ideal time of day to do it is less important than having done it that day and being aware that, There is an interesting relationship that you have with yourself when you know that you're imperfect in your pursuit of trying to do something that is consistent and, you know, connected to this ritual or this routine. But knowing that we're like super flawed in our attempts.
1: I can't tell you how comfortable and heartwarming it is to hear this because you're saying things that are very familiar to me in a way that I haven't said like to me, some people ask, well, of course you skip them when you're sick or you skip them when you're injured. And I was like, the way I put it is everything else is practice for those. Those are the ones where I find myself and they're harder. But what, what does it mean to find yourself, to, to strip away all the protections and find out what's important to you? Most people have nothing to say about that or have no experience about that. And in my case, I've spent not one penny on all these exercises that I've done. The burpees, it doesn't, it costs nothing. It doesn't matter what the weather is, but it's really hard inside and equally rewarding. Same with the picking up garbage. It's, it's kind of interesting. Like the other day I was going out and it snowed here. So I have to like, it's all covered up. I got to find the trash. So I have to find like a little stream where the snow hasn't, has melted or didn't form. And so I have to find some garbage in the stream. The point is not that the point is that I went out and found a new situation and
0: yeah, I mean, I it reminds me of sometimes I hear people talk about creativity or inspiration. Those are really popular things for people to write and talk about. And you know, there's different approaches or attitudes about whether all people are creative or this, you know, some people believe everybody's an artist. And that is like less interesting to me than understanding that whether it's painting or exercise or you know community service or poetry or, or writing or gardening or anything I think having something that is consistent is really the key and I think it will become increasingly increasingly important if you think about the, I don't know, the ways in which we're inundated with faster moving images, quantities of information, like for a little while I was on Facebook, but there was a day like 10 years ago when I realized that it's too much for my brain to have 2000 friends. Like there's a reason why my life as I've gotten older has you know, given me a core group of, of a certain number of friends and that that's what I can handle. (laughs) And so I think, you know, there's something about, and this is my own personal belief. I don't know if people disagree, but I think there's something there that has to do with, you know, our brains are plastic and they want to learn new things, but there's also a really big aspect of it that has to do with wanting to have a routine and something that you can count on and kind of connect with that isn't necessarily another person, but that is something that you do. And that whatever it is, it does allow you to learn more about yourself, whether it's any of those things I just
1: listed. Yeah. It feels like there's so much enticing, but there's so much stuff that like, to me is like craving. But it doesn't feel like when you first get it, it doesn't feel like craving. It feels like, oh, that would be really fun to do. My friends are going out and doing blah, blah, blah. I could do that. And not doing that seems like less exciting. Oh, yeah. So like adding lots of friends on, on, on social media. It's engaging, but ultimately unrewarding and empty. Whereas this doesn't look like that much fun. And yet I prefer it because of what the work brings.
0: Yeah, and it's that because of what the work brings, I think. Which is, um, there's an element of unknown and kind of a surprise, or there's an, a curiosity that's inherent to that. Like the at the start of this, you mentioned the the short film that was produced about my teaching, and there are people who are interviewed that talk about what they learn in working with me, and it really doesn't have anything to do with paint. What they talk about, yeah, <laughs> and you know, I remember. One guy, John, that that was a wonderful participant painter in my workshop who talked about how he never felt like what I was teaching was um, the nuts and bolts of painting and that everyone had to do exactly what I did in order to be successful. But that the way I was expressing what I learned about painting through painting is what other people can learn for themselves about painting through doing it doing their own work and that it's really that what they, they gain from talking to me about, about the creative process or just this practice is about finding ways to grow and being interested in not having a predetermined goal necessarily. And, you know, we start up by talking about what my practice is. And to be honest, like I, I started doing, this blog and, and other people were doing you know daily painting and it's not a new concept in the art world, of course, on art historically, but that I really did it myself because I had just gotten out of graduate school and I didn't want to get a job like at Starbucks. I wanted to try to be a painter and I was teaching part-time and I thought about using a pseudonym because I had just gotten out of grad school at Hunter in New York and I was like, well, this isn't really my work. It wasn't what I thought it was like. Going to be the focus of my work and wasn't sure if I wanted to like really be associated with it. And it's this whole interesting kind of memory that I have. And you know, fast forward whatever, 13 years later. And it is it's one of the pillars of my life, you know, mm-hmm. and and it's this kind of miracle I feel like in a way. And um, but I like to share that because I didn't know what was going to come of it. And I that's not why I did it. And I think, you know, one of the dangers in in people listening to people like me or you maybe is that it sounds like, I don't know, being able to articulate these things makes it, it sound like it's easier than it was. And I want to share as much as I can, but I never want it to come off that way, that it will be any... Easier for someone else to try to do something, whatever it is, that whatever whether whether it's art or exercise or anything, that it's it's we're all the same human beings and it's it's not easier for anybody. It's not easier for me.
1: The way I think of it is not that it's necessarily easy, but it is straightforward that I mean you have to work through it, but that's all you have to do. You don't have to have a special Mozart gene or something like that. You have to pick something. That you care about. I mean, if you love singing, don't paint, sing, but sing every day. And people keep asking me, like, well, what do you do about toothbrushes? And what do you do about toilet paper? And, you know, what do you do when you're out with friends and you're ordering something out? And, you know, because I avoid garbage stuff. And I don't know how to handle toothbrushes for you. I don't know how to solve your life. I don't know what to do about diapers. I don't have a kid. But my point is not to copy me, but to do. take the process and apply to your life. You will solve for your life what I've solved for mine if you do it. But every time I answer them actually with what they're specifically asking, they always respond, oh, oh, I can't do that though. I see why that works for you, but it doesn't work for me. I'm like, you are just looking for an excuse (laughs) to not do it. But if you go through the steps, you'll get there. I want to read some of the quotes that I didn't copy them word for word but from that video. And I the links to a bunch of these videos and your page are going to be in the text. So for people, and she talked about painting like for an hour and a half, but the video is only like four or five minutes long. So, cause they're, I guess time-lapse. So one person said, she spends time working with your individual style, what you want to achieve. That to me is more than just about painting. And you say how you can set the same thing up for everyone in the class. And everyone's painting is different. You can give the same instruction. Or the same demonstration to everyone, and no one does it twice. No two people will do it the same. And another quote about being not focused on technique, but being present, clearing your mind just to create, to be one with the process of creation. I loved about her. So that was a quote about you. And you said it was about capturing a moment, a creative moment that enriches your life. I want to underscore the accessibility of that. Actually, do you care to comment on any any of those? And there's something you said earlier about seeing Rembrandt's work and then seeing works in museums. And I'll wrap up with either or both of those. Although if you want to keep going, I'd be, I'd be happy to.
0: I guess two sides of a coin really, which is, I think when you share something that you do. So in my case, when I teach painting or share my work, it's not super common for someone to share their entire painting process. Like at least in my experience, when I went to a couple of workshops when I was in my 20s, The artists showed how they started the painting and they would show their finished works, but they wouldn't really show the hard part, which is like three quarters of the way through the painting, how you know when you need to sort of bring it in for a landing and like how to do that. So there's like a transparency aspect, I think, that is part of this conversation, which to me is important at least. But then with the statement that that painter made, which is, you know, finding their own style, which I wouldn't use that word because I think style tends to feel like it's a prescription for how something should look. And it's kind of the opposite in a way that, you know, I want to have a curiosity about wherever your work takes you. But my biggest, I think, motivation or my most important value when I'm teaching is that I do what I do because I have a background in scientific illustration. I spent my life playing basketball through college. And so I have like this kind of practice attitude and this routine connection to what I do. And, you know, I use a long brush because I don't want to make illustrations. And, you know, I know that I have a tendency to kind of do that because of my training. And like, I have really concrete reasons why. I do what I do that have to do with me, and if that connects with some people, then great. but my goal when I'm showing my work or teaching people is to communicate really clearly that every single thing that I do may not fit for somebody, but that being able to talk to them about when do they find themselves inspired to paint or what do they find themselves looking at, or what do they feel like when they try to do this or that, or do they enjoy it when they try to do? this or that. And like being really self-aware, I think that translates for people and the takeaway that they get from that is, is this kind of, I don't know, inspiration or this kind of support that I provide for people just to grow in whatever they need to grow in. And it's totally different for everybody. And, you know, back to the the two sides of the same coin thing, like I show everything I do from start to finish. And when I do a demo, I go from start to finish so that they can see how I put the last stroke on or what I think about when I'm deciding whether to put one more stroke on. And yet I want all of my my students' work to look different. I don't want it all to look like mine because I feel like that is the worst outcome that what I want is for them to bring whatever it is their perspective is and whatever experiences they've had. And they're going to see the same setup as everyone else in the room, but it's going to be different because they're different. And I feel really strongly about that. And so, you know, to the degree that I show everything behind the curtain, I also am really clear that you might be able to to mimic something that I do, but that's not going to last it's not going to be sustainable for you. You're not going to feel connected to it two days later when you're back in your studio by yourself. And so we might as well skip over that part and just get to the part of like, what do you feel connected to? What happened in your life that made you feel that way? Like there's, there's a lot of feelings discussed and it's because I think that creates a habit of being really self, self-aware as you're, as you're doing something
1: like this. What's the value of of looking at the masters? I mean, you spend hours at a time in front of a Rembrandt. You could look at your students' paintings too. And I imagine you get something different from looking at a Rembrandt or Vermeer or whatever.
0: I think it's a good question. I would say, I mean, when I'm looking at like back in October, I, I was fortunate to travel to... Uh, Belgium. And while I was there, I also visited the Louvre in Paris and uh, I went to The Hague to the Sauce Museum, which has um, paintings like Girl with the Pearl Earring by Vermeer and uh, The Goldfinch, uh, which is a famous painting. And I think this is a really great question. (laughs) I think when I'm studying the master paintings in person, it's partly, I think, that I just, as a person, feel connected to what they probably cared about. And I'm a big believer in like the energy of, of things. So whether it's like the objects that I paint or the paintings that I study in museums. And so part of it is like, being in the presence of that and that's partly why I don't love looking at at paintings online or on a screen if I can help it because you lose that you lose like the texture of it sort of psychometry like um, energy feel of it even sometimes the smell of it (laughs) Um, so I think there's that part of it or I just want to like be in the presence of it but from like kind of painting side of it like the 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 specific to painting side of it i often do drawings from the paintings and museums so i'm like studying decisions they make about contrast or subtlety or different compositional choices in terms of scale relationships or when something is kind of a a tangential like kind of just just happens to be touching another object or when it's slightly behind it like really formal things like that and not so much to like replicate it later but just to I guess feel like I'm spending time and studying the work of people who I feel like are in my tribe in a way and I think I experience that when I look at paintings that are done by my students or other painters like that wouldn't be in a museum. I experienced that also. And if I look at a painting, I can walk by a painting and it appears as though I just walked by it. But if you ask me right away, like if you interviewed me about whatever painting I had just walked by, I could tell you probably 40 things about it, you know, just by having walked by it. And so I think it's just kind of being a sponge to whatever it is I'm looking at. But I don't know. I mean, I'm going to think more about your question because there's something interesting there to me that I hadn't thought about until you just asked that, which is like, who has decided that these artists are the ones that I should be spending time looking at their work and why have they decided it? And it's something that I've thought about from a different angle because I've recently started speaking more about something that I've always thought about, which is something I haven't publicly talked about, but I've always personally, internally wondered about and studied and thought about, which is that, you know, part of what interests me in continuing the tradition of still life painting in 2020 is that it's a tradition of painting that is um, accessible to people, like I said earlier, but that in its heyday in you know the Renaissance or 17th century, you know, Dutch golden age, like it really didn't include women. And, you know, it's evident when you go see the Marie's house in in the Netherlands or the Louvre, that you can look up their collections and they have, you know, thousands of paintings in their collection. And literally 1% of them are by women in those, in those fields. And it may be because they don't um, acquire works by women, but it's probably also because there aren't a lot done by women from that time and so to me it feels like a very unfinished genre and an unfinished field or still very much in progress that women's voices are uh, more and more a part of it so I think that part of it connects a little bit somewhat peripherally to what I was just talking about but I feel like it's a fascinating question because someone has decided that those are the works that are in museums and so I am kind of affirming their importance and condoning what has been allocated to them in terms of being a master. And I think it's really interesting to kind of question that or at least ponder that.
1: Well, I'm going to, I know you didn't over, to ask so,
0: but, <laughs> get that long answer, but
1: <laughs> on the contrary, I, I actually, I feel like this whole conversation, we've just begun to scratch the surface and I, who is it? P.T. Barnum I'm always leaving him wanting more. I want if, if you are in the feeling of you want to explore and, and share that, then I want to leave you there in the hopes that we'll continue this conversation another time. I'd I leave you an open invitation anytime you want to continue. I would love to keep going on this. And I often ask at the end, is there anything you wanted to say directly to listeners?
0: Well, first I wanted to thank you because I feel like um I'm always really honored and inspired when I get to talk to people who I feel kind of understand just on a visceral level, what it's like to do something and be committed to doing something that nobody's telling you to do and that you're, uh, you know, you're not necessarily clear on why you necessarily do it yourself or why you feel driven to do it, but just the fact that you have been able to, you know, be committed to your exercise and also the environment and the ways that you are, but also just sharing the way you do with your podcast. Like that's, it's a, it's a real, you know, commitment I think to produce something like that. And so I don't know, I think that's sort of something I want to speak about towards the end of this because it kind of fuels what I do. And I think probably for a lot of your, your listeners, it does too. But for me personally, like when I get to have these converse these types of conversations, you know, as I'm sitting in my, my chair painting tomorrow, like I'll be kind of replaying some of the things that I've I've heard myself say today that I, I wouldn't have said if you hadn't asked a certain question a certain way, you know, and that I think what's interesting about everything we've talked about is that, you know, I've painted tons and tons of pears or I've painted tons and tons of strawberries and whatever different fruit. And every time I do it, it's different because I'm different every day. And um different partly because I get one day older, but also because I've had a conversation the day before with someone like you, or I've listened to a podcast of a discussion between you and I, you know, and like or someone else like you and I. And I think that kind of just I guess calling that out and, and for what it is, which is like we're just regular people who are doing something that, that makes us feel inspired each day to keep, keep doing something, you know, keep ourselves moving, keep ourselves interested and, and, um, curious and that being able to share that is really, um, a privilege.
1: Abby Ryan, thank you very much. Thank you. Right after I stopped recording, Abby shared how she enjoyed talking about things in a way and about things that she hadn't before. And we both really enjoyed, I mentioned the beginning, how self-indulgent, I felt, asking her these questions and hearing her answers of something parallel in my life, my joy of my environmental action in her life. And she said that she really loved sharing, looking at things in this way. And also, if I I don't want to mischaracterize her, but I think she was saying that she got to say things in a way that I understood and that I shared things that she understood. It was very comfortable. I just felt so self-indulgent. I couldn't get to act asking her to act on her environmental values and talking about that just because I was getting so much out of this. We are going to have another conversation. I hope that this leads you, if you weren't already doing this, to pick up a daily habit, to pick up something that you can do in any area of life. Certainly, in my experience, acting environmentally, whether that be cleaning stuff up, cooking, walking in nature, working, helping others. Not every daily habit is as active as others. But I think arts, music, sports, and acting environmentally, I think, gives you access to all of these things. I can't wait to hear her again. I hope you got out of this what I did. Definitely go to the links that are in the text of her page and also some of the videos of her painting and of her seeing her in action teaching others. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodic.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.